This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Rico Media Peter Kafka, and I'm coming to you late on Monday night because the writer's strike is over. Kind of, maybe. And we're going to talk to Bloomberg's Lucas Shaw about it. Lucas, you have been working around the clock. Thank you for making time to talk to me. Thank you for having me. I will do my best to keep the energy levels very high. I will just talk really fast and energetically if, if that helps. Lucas, just let's first of all go over some basic details. The studios and the writers came to an agreement late last night. It's about 24 hours later. But that doesn't mean the strike is over, right? Or does it basically mean the strike is over? It basically means that the writer's strike is over. So the actor's strike still in effect. Those two sides, the studios and the actors, have not negotiated in in months at this point, really, since the actors went on strike in mid-July. But the writers had gone on strike first. This agreement is subject to ratification by the broader guild, but it is widely expected that, that will happen sometime in the next couple of weeks. One thing we still don't know is whether writers will be allowed back to work before then. So the exact timing of the return of Jimmy Fallon, Stephen Colbert, daytime talk shows is a little up in the air, but it's safe to assume that by early to mid-October, anything that just required a writer could start again. So practically, if you are making some kind of television show that doesn't involve an actor, you can go back to work in the nearish future. Yeah, if you want to get back in the writer's room for a show that's supposed to come back, uh, if you want to go back to taking meetings with the studio where you have a deal, all those things. I want to talk some big picture stuff in a second. But but first of all, is there also an assumption that since the writers figured out a deal with the studios and their, their complaints aren't exactly the same as the actors, but they're sort of thematically the same, that this deal is the template for the actors and now the actors deal gets done fairly soon as well? Template on certain issues, yes. But I think more broadly, the writers went first, have traditionally been the more aggressive union. They go on strike more often. Um, and the, the, the rhetoric between the writers and the studios had been stronger, if you will. And so, yes, I think that the deal with the writers is seen as a prelude to a deal with the actors, whether we're talking two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks is is unknown. But it would be safe to assume, I think, that the studios will get a deal done with the actors this year and sort of business can return to normal before the holidays. So let's talk about the agreement itself. It's not, I don't think it's formally released, but but smart people like you are getting your hands on it. Prior, I mean, what we heard this is a five month long strike. And at least people on the strike side, on the guild side, said this is an existential problem for us. We're trying to solve that. Does the agreement they reached sort of match that rhetoric? Or in the end, is this closer to a standard sort of deal where both sides compromise and move ahead? I guess it depends on how you view the existential problem. So if you take, if you're looking at the broader business, which I assume we'll discuss later, it obviously does not solve the, is streaming going to make us money? Like, what is the future of Hollywood stuff? No, no agreement between studios and one labor union is going to solve that. But as far as the writers feeling like they had lost a tremendous amount of power and stability 
in their negotiations with studios, this addresses a lot of their concerns. Now, I think there is an open question among many people in Hollywood whether the the problems that the writers are solving are actually going to be the problems going forward or whether their solutions are the best. But in terms of what the writers wanted, they got some pretty significant changes. You know, they got the studios to commit to hiring a minimum number of writers on most television shows, which is something at the outset that most people on the studio side was just not going to happen. This is a designed to try to keep boost employment, if you will, because writers have been worried that the studios are going to kind of Squeeze reduce the number. Of, exactly. And, and as a result, reduce the size of the union. You know, they got the studios to commit to at least some level of transparency in terms of how many people are watching shows and also to agree to some kind of bonus structure where they get paid in success. And those two things are connected, right? Because you need the transparency if you're going to get the bonus, because up until now, the the argument from from all everyone working in Hollywood is we have no idea how well our show is doing. Netflix or the streamers do. They won't tell us and they're not paying us properly, we think. Now, this is one of those areas where the devil is definitely in the details, right? How much the studios made an offer in August where they said that they would give quarterly reports to the guild and that the guild could not share it with the broader membership. The guild pushed for far more regular reports and to be able to share it more widely. We don't know where in the middle of that they landed, but that is still, you know, a, a major win. There is a, the the more normal salary or I should say more normal union deals of higher minimum salaries and higher residuals, which is payment when your show is re-aired, and all these things that basically amount to the writers get more money. Uh Uh-huh. So the writers wanted more money, some guarantee of not full employment, but better employment. The studios didn't want to give that up at first, but they basically made an agreement. Why did this take five months to put together? Part of it was that, I I think the both sides, or in particular the studios, I feel like, didn't anticipate how monumental this moment felt for the writers, by which I mean the studios looked at it and the writers first gave the studios a a, a bunch of a proposal with a bunch of things the studios were never going to do. And the studios looked at that as we're just, you know, we'll talk to them later. We're going to go do a deal with the actors and directors first. This is what they did in 2007, 2008. And they got half that right. They did a deal with the directors on time, pretty easy. The writers were horrified by this deal. They felt it didn't go far enough. But then when it came to the actors, the studios misjudged it a little bit. And the actors also went on strike. And that and that meant that we were in territory that we hadn't been in since 1960. Because it hadn't been, it, it had been six decades since both the writers and the actors were on strike. And then the studios really had to start looking at that, the, the writer's proposal and think about what could they live with and, and what were they still going to draw a line in the sand on. I think you also had the added dimension of Look, you have a lot of media companies that are looking to cut costs. And if even if they didn't want a strike, if you gave them an opportunity to save money by not making uh-huh. things for a couple of months, it sounded pretty good to them. Right. So I could see early on, they'd say, yeah, all right, fine. We, we can have some temporary savings. We've got more leverage. We can last, if you're the studios, we can last a lot longer than the writers can. But we got five months into it. You know, I remember talking to Matt Bellany from Puck about this last spring. He said, well, they need to solve it by September, late September, or else they can't get movies done for next summer. Then they're in real trouble. As of a couple of weeks ago, there were people saying, oh, no, this thing is going to go through the end of the year. It's going to go into next year. And I just didn't understand what the studio incentive to drag this thing out would be because they are, you know, even if they're saving some money from not being production now, they ultimately are in the business of making and selling and distributing TV shows, movies. So 
what what got them to sort of come to their senses? Just so we're clear, I never bought the this isn't going to be until this is going to go into next year mm-hmm. rhetoric. That felt to me like the studios throughout this process, the studios tried to create urgency and deadlines to get a deal because they wanted to get back to work. And so they would say things like, if you don't accept this deal, you know, we will, it'll be until January. There was sort of a, a, a now infamous in a very small circle of nerdy people CNBC report going into the negotiations last week on Wednesday, where it was like, if they don't reach the deal today, it'll be January. And, sources and, said, sources and, who who work at Disney and and, and Warner Brothers Discovery. Yes, exactly, yes. And the funny thing about that was that the writers hadn't even responded to the new studio offer yet. So there's no way of knowing if mm-hmm. there were they were about to reach a deal. But in terms of like why now and 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 why it dragged on so long, one of the reasons I think it dragged on so long was just the writers were so committed to getting such big wins that unless they got a lot of what they wanted, they just weren't coming back to the table. And the studios had come with what they thought was a pretty generous offer in August and were very disappointed in the lukewarm response from the writers. And that then precipitated this like two or three week staring contest where the other each side said it was up to the other one to be the next one to, to negotiate. And then it finally cracked because I think both sides felt a lot of pressure. The studios realized that they really were going to have to make some big compromises to get back to work. And the writers, having maintained solidarity for several months, started to feel a little pressure from the membership that was getting really anxious and wanted to, to return. Hey, to guys, this has gone on for long enough. Maybe we ought to give Yeah, you saw up. stories about showrunners, the powerful writer-producers like Kenya Barris and Ryan Murphy wanting to meet with the leaders of the guild. You saw talk show hosts like Drew Barrymore and Bill Maher threatening to go back to work. And so the the leadership realized that they had, I think, maximum leverage at that point and had to get as good a deal as they could. Does it matter that the the Bob Iger and Ted Sarandos and David Zaslav were in the negotiating room this week? I, I had a lot of uh, a reporter just sort of very consumed with who was in the room and who wasn't. Does it matter that the the studio bosses finally decided to to show up? And if so, why didn't they show up months ago? I think it matters because it communicates how important it was to the companies that the most important executives at their uh, at their places were going to take a whole day and negotiate. Um, especially because one of the writer's talking points had been, the studios aren't trying, they don't want to do a deal, we're mm-hmm. ready to do a deal whenever. And they were coming in as a signal that like, we are ready to do a deal right now, let's do it. And if this doesn't work, we're probably going to go to the actors next instead. We'll be right back after a word from a sponsor. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
And we're back. Lucas, we've been talking for nearly 10 minutes and neither of us has mentioned AI yet. And you and I have talked about this a couple of different times. Um, it didn't seem like AI was relevant to the strike or the labor labor unrest at the beginning. And then all of a sudden you heard writers saying AI is going to take our jobs. This is one of the reasons is existential. What happened to AI? What, what, what agreement did they reach? Well, the details on the AI provisions are a little bit fuzzy right now. What we do know is that the studios had already committed to the idea that only humans can be the credited writers for something. And that's important because it means that studios can't just use ChatGPT to write scripts. And even if they do use AI to get an idea, they can't refer to it as an adaptation, which would potentially limit the earnings for a writer. What we're less clear on is there was a big debate over whether studios could use scripts, which they own, but writers obviously authored, to train large language models. And mm -hmm. my, my, my sense is that there's an agreement that the studios can sort of experiment and try some things, but there are limitations around how they can use it. Yeah, I believe I read in the Times today that they had asserted language that said the studios aren't going to use that, essentially. So this doesn't mean that the studios aren't going to use artificial intelligence, just like it means the writers aren't going to use it, right? I mean, I've, I've talked to a bunch of writers who say, oh, I already used ChatGPT as sort of a brainstorming idea. I mean, of course I'm going to use it. Um, what it does it does it does it forestall the idea that that writers will be replaced by AI? That was always a little extreme uh, to me in terms of the rhetoric. I mean, I, look, I'm not here to say that studios won't use it and that longer term there might be there won't be some risk to some writers. But I have yet to speak to a studio executive who was looking to, you know, greatly reduce the number of writers working on a project thanks to AI. It's just not good enough yet. Now, the writers were seeking protections because who knows what will happen one, two, three years from now, their next this contract is a three-year deal. Obviously, a lot can change in that period of time. Right. So three years from now, it's possible the tech is it's it's where we're at a world where you write we could get a decent script or an acceptable script from robots. Um, and then you actually have to have a real discussion about that. You've mentioned this. I've sure seen other writers talk about it. I've talked to studio people about it. There's a lot of well, depending on who, which side of the deal you're on, there's different perspectives. But a lot of talk about social media in this labor dispute and um, what it meant. Can you talk about how social media affected this strike? Yeah, I think it played two primary roles. One was as a galvanizing function. So you were able to use it to organize and communicate, but also to just project this idea of resolve and strength and power. On the labor side. On the labor side, because mm -hmm. you had the unions and you had writers showing up to protest at offices and studios at Paramount, Netflix, Fox, Warner Brothers Discovery, Disney, all these places every day. And they would be posting photos to social media, to Twitter, to Instagram. They would be posting videos to TikTok. And you do that and it sort of, it turns those, it, it inspires people to keep showing up right? Because they think that they're part of a broader movement. It's one of the reasons that people got excited about Twitter and social media 10, 15 years ago, if you remember. When it was going to liberate Iran, et cetera. Correct. I think that it also served as a silencing function because it meant that anyone who objected 
to the way that the union was handling things or anyone who was more eager to do a deal was timid to speak out and express those opinions because they would be shouted down by some very vocal people because the writers in general, I'd say, were very vocal on social media. I was occasionally on the receiving end of this where if you said anything that suggested that the writers were not, you know, the, 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 the soldiers of God, you were the enemy. I, um, I saw I saw you you engaging in Twitter bans. Um, terrible God idea. God bless on my you. Part. You know, yeah. you, you got to learn eventually. And you said, you know, earlier you said uh, Drew Barrymore and Bill Maher threatened to go back to work. They said we're going back to work. Um, it seemed like they were kind of shamed uh, into changing their minds by social media. Is that a fair reading? Certainly in the case of, of Drew Barrymore, whether it was a, some mix of social media and people she heard from privately, but she said she was going back. Then she issued this kind of heartfelt video ex- trying to explain herself that only made kind of only made the problem worse. Mm-hmm. And then not long after that, she decided to delay that. The Bill Maher one was surprising because his whole brand is, you know, screw you guys, I'm going to do what I want. Yep. Um, and yet he seemed to, what seemed to register with him, I guess, was this will undercut the union right ahead of this big negotiation. I think had they not scheduled the start of a new negotiation, he might have gone ahead with it. But I am not inside his brain. So let's zoom out a little bit. Let's say I'm someone who likes to watch television and movies. Am I going to see the effects of this strike um, now, this winter, next summer, or is it not going to feel like anything any changed ever changed? Have you felt it to this point? No. You would only have felt it to, so far if you're a devotee of late night talk shows mm-hmm. or daytime talk, because those have been off, although some of the daytime stuff would have been off anyways. You would have felt it if you're a big fan of broadcast television, because right around now is the time that new shows would be coming back on CBS and NBC Mm -hmm. and ABC and Fox. And those networks still have the sports. They still have the reality TV. Uh, They have there, but they don't have normally they would have new shows to show you. Yeah, there's a reason that Yellowstone, which is a show that's on the Paramount Network, and then goes to Peacock has been available on CBS. And this is also Uh, why uh, Disney moved Monday Night Football from ESPN to ABC. Or something to show. Yes, exactly. Going forward. The, the honest answer is I'm not sure. I mean, you will continue to feel the lack of new product on broadcast TV. From a streaming perspective, I was told that if they didn't get up and running by the fall, you'd feel it next year. I think you'll probably see some, but the services will be pretty good at spacing it out and making it not seem like they're that light. You'll feel it a little more, I think, on the movie side, where you have some movies that were supposed to come out this fall that already got pushed to next year because stars they thought might not be around to promote it. Right. I wanted um, to see Dune Dune Part 2 this fall, and I can't. Right. I got to wait. Now coming out next year. You might see next summer, not as many movies. You know, they're supposed to have a Deadpool 3 that's, that's, that's in production right now. That's not going to be ready. You were talking about this at the very beginning, right? So... Um, what does this mean for the business of making filmed content? You know, we went through the streaming boom slash bubble that was going to shrink, deflate, pick your metaphor, no matter what. Does this affect any of the contours of sort of how stuff is financed, how it's paid for, how it's distributed? Or is it are we pretty much looking at the same world we were looking at six months ago? You know, the world will be different. I don't know if it will be different in a way that is obvious to the average consumer. The one way in which it could is these new labor agreements will increase the cost of making shows. And so if you have companies already cutting back, 
there's an argument to be made that this will make them reduce their output even more because every individual show will get more expensive. Their budget's going to be the same. So if you have $5 billion and every show now costs $50 million instead of $40 million, you're just not making as many shows. There will be other more subtle ways in which the business changes where, for example, a lot of prominent writer-producers have overall deals with studios. I think some of those are getting cut back. In general, you may see a more vibrant market for what's called a spec script stuff being written sort of without a studio attached that you then try to bring to market. Because in general, these companies are not going to commit to as much overhead as they were before. And then there's there's sort of this debate going on as to whether you'll see any damage to those who were especially active during the strike, like studios will blackball them or something. Mm -hmm. I'm fairly skeptical of that, but that's definitely something that gets talked about. And on the studio side, you've heard for a while, well, things have changed and the world has changed and, and we, you know, we have to rationalize our business and the streaming was kind of a mirage, depending on who you're talking to. Now you're saying the stuff they are going to make is going to get more expensive. Does this, if, if, if you truly, if you run a studio and you say, we have an existential problem, just like the writers and actors think they have an existential problem, does this resolve any of that or are you just exactly sort of where you were? No, this definitely doesn't resolve the problem because it doesn't really do anything to, to affect consumer behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Or affect the fundamental economics of the streaming business. It's not like this is going to make fewer people it's not going to reduce churn for disney plus or i mean disney mm -hmm. plus is pretty good churn but for any of these streaming services it's not going to bring back advertisers to to linear tv i mean it might help ending a labor stoppage will help the bleeding from this right because it means there will be more good shows on broadcast but we just go back to the same position we were in before the change from this is in ha in the relationship between studios and writers and that's something that the writers hope will be to their benefit in the long run. But I don't think it does a whole lot to help Bob Iger solve Disney's problems or to help David Zaslav cut his, his debt at Warner Brothers Discovery. Again, if anything, you could argue it does the opposite. Lucas Shaw, you've been an indispensable source. You always are an indispensable source. That's why I talk to you all the time. But you've been doing great strike coverage. Unlike angry people on Twitter, uh, I very much appreciate the work you're doing. I'm going to let you get some rest. Thanks for your help. Thanks, Peter. Thanks to our sponsors for bringing the show to you for free. That's zero dollars, still the same. Thanks to Travis and Jelani for editing the show, producing the show, and thanks to you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.